Chapter ninety eight of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume three, Part one by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Monsieur Baisemeaux de Montlezun's Accounts. The clock of St. Paul was striking seven as Aramis, on horseback, dressed as a simple citizen, that is to say, in colored suit, with no distinctive mark about him, except a kind of hunting knife by his side, passed before the Rue de Petite Muse, and stopped opposite the Rue de Tourelle at the gate of the Bastille. Two sentinels were on duty at the gate. They made no difficulty about admitting Aramis, who entered without dismounting, and they pointed out the way he was to go by a long passage with buildings on both sides. This passage led to the drawbridge, or, in other words, to the real entrance. The drawbridge was down, and the duty of the day was about being entered upon. The sentinel at the outer guardhouse stopped Aramis's further progress, asking him in a rough tone of voice what had brought him there. Aramis explained with his usual politeness that a wish to speak to Monsieur Baisemeaux de Montbazoun had occasioned his visit. The first sentinel then summoned a second sentinel, stationed within an inner lodge, who showed his face at the grating and inspected the new arrival most attentively. Aramis reiterated the expression of his wish to see the governor, whereupon the sentinel called to an officer of lower grade, who was walking about in a tolerably spacious courtyard, and who in turn, on being informed of his object, ran to seek one of the officers of the governor's staff. The latter, having listened to Aramis's request, begged him to wait a moment, then went away a short distance, but returned to ask his name. "'I cannot tell it you, monsieur,' said Aramis. "'I need only mention that I have matters of such importance to communicate to the governor that I can only rely beforehand upon one thing.' that Monsieur de Baisemeaux will be delighted to see me. Nay, more than that, when you have told him that it is the person whom he expected on the first of June, I am convinced he will hasten here himself. The officer could not possibly believe that a man of the governor's importance should put himself out for a person of so little importance as the citizen-looking visitor on horseback. "'It happens most fortunately, monsieur,' he said, that the governor is just going out, and you can perceive his carriage with the horses already harnessed in the courtyard yonder. There will be no occasion for him to come to meet you, as he will see you as he passes by. Aramis bowed to signify his assent. He did not wish to inspire others with too exalted an opinion of himself, and therefore waited patiently and in silence, leaning upon the saddle-bow of his horse. Ten minutes had hardly elapsed when the governor's carriage was observed to move. The governor appeared at the door and got into the carriage, which immediately prepared to start. The same ceremony was observed for the governor himself, as with a suspected stranger. The sentinel at the lodge advanced as the carriage was about to pass under the arch, and the governor opened the carriage door, himself setting the example of obedience to orders, so that, in this way, the sentinel could convince himself that no one quitted the Bastille improperly. The carriage rolled along under the archway, but at the moment the iron gate was opened, the officer approached the carriage, which had been again stopped, and said something to the governor, who immediately put his head out of the doorway and perceived Aramis on horseback, at the end of the drawbridge. He immediately uttered almost a shout of delight and got out, or rather darted out of his carriage, running toward Aramis, whose hands he seized, making a thousand apologies. He almost embraced him. "'What a difficult matter to enter the Bastille,' said Aramis. Is it the same for those who are sent here against their wills as for those who come of their own accord? A thousand pardons, my lord, 
how delighted i am to see your grace hush what are you thinking of my dear monsieur baisemeaux what do you suppose would be thought of a bishop in my present costume pray excuse me i've forgotten take this gentleman's horse to the stables cried baisemeaux no no said aramis i have five thousand pistoles in the saddlebags the governor's countenance became so radiant that if the prisoners had seen him they would have imagined some prince of the blood royal had arrived yes you are right the horse shall be taken to the government house Uh, will you get into the carriage my dear monsieur d'herblay and it shall take us back to my house get into a carriage to cross a courtyard do you believe i am so great an invalid no no we will go on foot baisemeaux then offered his arm as a support but the prelate did not accept it they arrived in this manner at the government house baisemeaux rubbing his hands and glancing at the horse from time to time while aramis was looking at the bleak bare walls a tolerably handsome vestibule and staircase of white stone led to the governor's apartments who crossed the antechamber the dining-room where breakfast was being prepared opened a small side door and closeted himself with his guest in a large cabinet the windows of which opened obliquely upon the courtyard and the stables baisemeaux installed the prelate with that all-inclusive politeness of which a good man or a grateful man alone possesses the secret an armchair a footstool a small table beside him on which to rest his hand everything was prepared by the governor himself with his own hands too he placed upon the table with much solicitude the bag containing the gold which one of the soldiers had brought up with the most respectful devotion and the soldier having left the room baisemeaux himself closed the door after him drew aside one of the window curtains and looked steadfastly at aramis to see if the prelate required anything further well my lord he said still standing up of all men of their word you still continue to be the most punctual in matters of business dear monsieur de baisemeaux exactitude is not a virtue only it is a duty as well yes in matters of business certainly but what you have with me is not the character it is a service you are rendering me come confess dear monsieur de baisemeaux that notwithstanding this exactitude you have not been without a little uneasiness about your health i certainly have stammered out baisemeaux i wished to come here yesterday but i was not able as i was too fatigued continued aramis baisemeaux anxiously slipped another cushion behind his guest's back but continued aramis i promised myself to come and pay you a visit to-day early in the morning you are really very kind my lord and it was a good thing for me i was punctual i think what do you mean yes you were going out at which latter remark baisemeaux colored and said it is true i was going out then i prevent you said aramis whereupon the embarrassment of baisemeaux became visibly greater i am putting you to inconvenience he continued fixing a keen glance upon the poor governor if i had known that i should not have come how can your lordship imagine that you could ever inconvenience me 
confess you were going in search of money no stammered out baisemeaux no i assure you i was going to does the governor still intend to go to monsieur fouquet suddenly called out the major from below baisemeaux ran to the window like a madman no no he exclaimed in a state of desperation who the deuce is speaking of monsieur fouquet are you drunk below there why am i interrupted when i am engaged on business you were going to monsieur fouquet's said aramis biting his lip to monsieur fouquet the abbe or the superintendent baisemeaux almost made up his mind to tell an untruth but he could not summon the courage to do so to the superintendent he said it is true then that you were in want of money since you were going to a person who gives it away i assure you my lord you were afraid my dear lord it was the uncertainty and ignorance in which i was as to where you were to be found you would have found the money you require at monsieur fouquet's for he is a man whose hand is always open i swear that i should never have ventured to ask monsieur fouquet for money i only wished to ask him for your address to ask monsieur fouquet for my address exclaimed aramis opening his eyes in real astonishment yes said baisemeaux greatly disturbed by the glance which the prelate fixed upon him at monsieur fouquet's certainly there is no harm in that dear monsieur baisemeaux only i would ask why ask my address of monsieur fouquet that i might write to you i understand said aramis smiling but that is not what i meant i do not ask you what you required my address for i only ask why should you go to monsieur fouquet for it oh said baisemeaux is belle isle a property of monsieur fouquet and as belle isle is in the diocese of vannes and as you are bishop of vannes but my dear baisemeaux since you knew i was bishop of vannes you had no occasion to ask monsieur fouquet for my address well monsieur said baisemeaux completely at bay if i have acted indiscreetly i beg your pardon most sincerely nonsense observed aramis calmly how can you possibly have acted indiscreetly and while he composed his face and continued to smile cheerfully on the governor he was considering how baisemeaux who was not aware of his address knew however that van was his residence i shall clear all this up he said to himself and then speaking aloud added well my dear governor shall we now arrange our little accounts i am at your orders my lord but tell me beforehand my lord whether you will do me the honor to breakfast with me as usual very willingly indeed that's well said baisemeaux and he struck the bell before him three times what does that mean inquired aramis 
that i have someone to breakfast with me and that preparations are to be made accordingly and you rang thrice really my dear governor i begin to think you are acting ceremoniously with me no indeed besides the least i can do is to receive you in the best way i can but why so because not even a prince could have done what you have done for me nonsense nonsense nay i assure you let us speak of other matters said aramis or rather tell me how your affairs here are getting on not over well the deuce monsieur de mazarin was not hard enough yes i see you require a government full of suspicion like that of the old cardinal for instance yes matters went on better under him the brother of his gray eminence made his fortune here believe me my dear governor said aramis drawing closer to baisemeaux a young king is well worth an old cardinal youth has its suspicions its fits of anger its prejudices as old age has its hatreds its precautions and its fears have you paid your three years profits to louvieres and tremblay most certainly i have so that you have nothing more to give them than the fifty thousand francs i have brought with me nothing have you not saved anything then my lord in giving the fifty thousand francs of my own to these gentlemen i assure you that i give them everything i gain i told monsieur d'artagnan so yesterday evening ah said aramis whose eyes sparkled for a moment but became immediately afterwards as unmoved as before so you have seen my old friend d'artagnan how was he wonderfully well and what did you say to him monsieur de baisemeaux i told him continued the governor not perceiving his own thoughtlessness i told him that i fed my prisoners too well how many have you inquired aramis in an indifferent tone of voice sixty well that is a tolerably round number in former times my lord there were during certain years as many as two hundred still a minimum of sixty is not to be grumbled at perhaps not for to anybody but myself each prisoner would bring in two hundred and fifty pistoles for instance for a prince of the blood i have fifty francs a day only you have no prince of the blood at least i suppose so said aramis with a slight tremor in his voice no thank heaven i mean no unfortunately what do you mean by unfortunately because my appointment would be improved by it so fifty francs per day for a prince of the blood thirty-six for a marechal of france but you have as many marechals of france i suppose as you have princes of the blood alas no more it is true lieutenant generals and brigadiers pay twenty-six francs and i have two of them after that come councillors of parliament who bring me fifteen francs and i have six of them i did not know 
said Aramis, that counsellors were so productive. Yes, but from fifteen francs I sink at once to ten francs, namely, for an ordinary judge and for an ecclesiastic. And you have seven, you say, an excellent affair. Nay, a bad one, and for this reason. How can I possibly treat these poor fellows, who are some good at all events, otherwise than as a councillor of Parliament? Yes, you are right. I do not see five franc difference between them. You understand if I have a fine fish, I pay four or five franc for it. If I get a fine fowl, it cost me a franc and a half. I fatten a good deal of poultry, but I have to buy grain, and you cannot imagine the army of rats that infest this place. Why not get half a dozen cats to deal with them? Cats? Indeed. Yes, they eat them, but I was obliged to give up the idea because of the way in which they treated my grain. I have been obliged to have some terrier dogs sent me from England to kill the rats. These dogs, unfortunately, have tremendous appetites. They eat as much as a prisoner of the fifth order, without taking into account the rabbits and fowls they kill. Was Aramis really listening or not? No one could have told. His downcast eyes showed the attentive man, but the restless hand betrayed the man absorbed in thought. Aramis was meditating. "'I was saying,' continued Baisemeaux, "'that a good-sized fowl cost me a franc and a half, and that a fine fish cost me four or five francs. Three meals are served at the Bastille, and, as the prisoners have nothing to do, are always eating. A ten-franc man cost me seven francs and a half.' did you not say that you treated those at ten francs like those at fifteen yes certainly very well then you gain seven francs and a half upon those who pay you fifteen francs i must compensate myself somehow said baisemeaux who saw how he had been snapped up you are quite right my dear governor but have you no prisoners below ten francs oh yes we have citizens and barristers at five francs and do they eat too not a doubt about it only you understand that they do not get fish or poultry nor rich wines at every meal but at all events thrice a week they have a good dish at their dinner really you are quite a philanthropist my dear governor and you will ruin yourself no understand me when the fifteen francs has not eaten his fowl, or the ten francs has left his dish unfinished, I send it to the five-franc prisoner. It is a feast for the poor devil, and one must be charitable, you know. And what do you make out of your five-franc prisoners? A franc and a half. Baisemeaux, you're an honest fellow. In honest truth, I say so. Thank you, my lord, but... I feel most for the small tradesmen and bailiffs' clerks, who are rated at three francs. They do not often see Rhine carp or Channel sturgeon. But do not the five-franc gentlemen sometimes leave some scraps? 
oh my lord do not believe i am so stingy as that i delight the heart of some poor little tradesman or clerk by sending him a wing of a red partridge a slice of venison or a slice of a truffled pasty dishes which he never tasted except in his dreams these are the leavings of the twenty-four franc prisoners and as he eats and drinks at dessert he cries long live the king and blesses the bastille with a couple of bottles of champagne which cost me five sous i make him tipsy every sunday that class of people call down blessings upon me and are sorry to leave the prison do you know that i have remarked and it does me infinite honor that certain prisoners who have been set at liberty have almost immediately afterwards got imprisoned again why should this be the case unless it be to enjoy the pleasures of my kitchen it is really the fact aramis smiled with an expression of incredulity you smile said baisemeaux i do returned aramis i will tell you that we have names which have been inscribed on our books thrice in the space of two years i must see it before i believe it said aramis well i can show it to you although it is prohibited to communicate the registers to strangers and if you really wish to see it with your own eyes i should be delighted i confess very well said baisemeaux and he took out of a cupboard a large register aramis followed him most anxiously with his eyes and baisemeaux returned placed the register upon the table and turned over the leaves for a minute and stayed at the letter m look here said he martigny january sixteen fifty nine martigny june sixteen sixty martigny march sixteen sixty one mazarinades etc you understand it was a pretext only people were not sent to the bastille for jokes against monsieur mazarin the fellow denounced himself in order to get imprisoned here and what was his object none other than to return to my kitchen at three francs a day three francs poor devil the poet my lord belongs to the lowest scale the same style of board as the small tradesman and bailiff's clerk but i repeat it is to those people only that i give these little surprises aramis mechanically turned over the leaves of the register continuing to read the names but without appearing to take any interest in the names he read in sixteen sixty one you perceive said baisemeaux eighty-eight entries and in sixteen fifty nine eighty also ah said aramis selden i seem to know that name was it not you who spoke to me about a certain young man yes a poor devil of a student who made what do you call that where two latin verses rhyme together a distich yes that is it poor fellow for a distich do you know that he made this distich against the jesuits that makes no difference the punishment seems very severe do not pity him last year you seemed to interest yourself in him yes i did so 
well as your interest is all-powerful here my lord i have treated him since that time as a prisoner at fifteen francs the same as this one then said aramis who had continued turning over the leaves and who had stopped at one of the names which followed martinier yes the same as that one is that marchiali an italian said aramis pointing with his finger to the name which had attracted his attention hush said baisemeaux why hush said aramis involuntarily clenching his white hand i thought i had already spoken to you about that marchiali no it is the first time i ever heard his name pronounced that may be but perhaps i have spoken to you about him uh, without naming him is he an old offender asked aramis attempting to smile on the contrary he is quite young is his crime then very heinous unpardonable he has assassinated anyone bah an incendiary then bah he has slandered anyone no no it is he who and baisemo approached aramis's ear making a sort of ear trumpet with his hand and whispered it is he who presumes to resemble thee yes yes said aramis i now remember you already spoke about it last year to me but the crime appeared to me so slight slight do you say or rather so involuntary my lord it is not involuntarily that such a resemblance is detected well the fact is i had forgotten it but my dear host said aramis closing the register if i am not mistaken we are summoned Baisemeaux took the register, hastily restored it to its place in the closet, which he locked, and put the key in his pocket. "'Will it be agreeable to your lordship to breakfast now?' said he. "'For you are right in supposing that breakfast was announced.' "'Assuredly, my dear governor.' And they passed into the dining-room. End of chapter 98 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia